The Gospel of today is from the book of Matthew, the 11th chapter. Jesus spoke to the crowd, saying, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the fruit, flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have given these things from the wise and the intelligent, and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you all. Amen. This past weekend, like many of you, I'm sure, I went inside, turned on the AC, got a Disney Plus subscription, and watched Hamilton. I've been listening to the soundtrack for five years, and the movie did not disappoint. It was intentionally released over Independence Day weekend for the musical shows The Birth and Afterbirth of Our Nation. And among the many themes the show tackles is just how unlikely it is that America came to be. In the musical, you see how America was first an idea dreamed up in bars and talked about in streets. It became a movement led by young people with no real experience who were not satisfied with the status quo and were willing to dedicate their lives and risk their safety to pursuing something better. Okay, part of remembering means we don't get to gloss over the tough parts, and so we've got a name that most of our founding fathers unfortunately enslaved other human beings. We've got a name that our Constitution, as it was originally constructed, was explicitly racist, counting each enslaved black person as only three-fifths of a human. And we've got a name that our nation stands on top of the land of many indigenous nations. It's okay for us to own up to that. We want to do better as a nation and telling our complicated truth is part of it. All the same, there is something truly revolutionary about the American Revolution or at least Hamilton's portrayal of it. What the revolution lacked in its failure to fully embrace the democratic and egalitarian ideals it espoused, it made up for in terms of its sheer boldness 
the notion that people could envision a better way to organize their lives and then act to make that possible? That they could leave behind an old system that wasn't working for them and create a new one? That they would believe in each other and see each other through suffering and go up against a global empire to make it so? It is simply astounding that this came to pass. Again, these were young people with little education or experience, and there was little precedent in the world for this sort of thing. Are these the men with which I am to defend America, says Hamilton's George Washington, surveying the inexperienced troops that he has been sent? And yet it is this ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower that somehow defeats a global superpower. That is our story. And I have wondered, and I bet you have too, about what you would have done if you were alive during the American Revolution. In my daydreams, I like to think that I would have joined, supported the cause, but I'm actually not sure that I would. See, it's easy for me to sit here in 2020 and believe in a revolution that has already succeeded. It'd be harder in 1776 when no one knew what the outcome would be. The fact is, it's just more difficult to believe in a vision for the world that hasn't become reality yet. When it's still just a rumor talked about in bars and whispered on the streets, when its standard bearers are common people who amount to little in the eyes of the world, and the idea they speak of is so out of the ordinary. The sad truth is that even when the status quo is unfair and miserable and dangerous, we can grow accustomed to it. We can take it as a given, something that just can't be changed. And when folks come along telling us that another way is possible, we might not believe them. We might stand at a distance or find something problematic or imperfect about their movement to keep ourselves from engaging with it. We might even defend the status quo they want to upend. It was true in the American Revolution, and it was true for Jesus and his disciples. The snippet of the gospel Alan read this morning is Jesus reckoning with people who won't join his movement, who stand apart, who want to criticize rather than join in. When John the Baptist came, he says, you found a problem with him because he fasted. And now that I'm here, you find a problem with me because I eat food and throw parties. There's always something wrong to the people who want to stand on the sidelines. Always a reason to keep them from jumping in. For as many followers as Jesus had, it's important to remember that he also provoked resistance. 
people did not want to hear his message. They'd find any excuse to keep themselves from having to deal with it. Because the notion that God's reign was here among us, that the death-dealing forces of this world were on their way out, that they were less real than God's forgiving and embracing love, the idea that we have nothing to prove in this life, that there is nothing we need to do to earn God's favor, that all people reflect God's image and are to be revered and not feared, that there is in fact enough to go around and that we can dedicate our lives not to building our own legacies, but finding our place in a story that is larger than our individual selves, the unfolding story that God is writing. These ideas seemed so improbable, so outlandish, too good to be true. And to walk away from what you've known, to join a movement that lived by this set of messages, the set of messages proclaimed by Jesus and his followers, it seemed foolish to most people. And probably dangerous, irresponsible, and impossible as well. It didn't help that the standard bearers of this message were nothing special in the eyes of the world. It was fishers and tax collectors and religious dropouts and women and no one really remarkable, actually. Even Jesus himself was part of a family that was kicked around by the Roman Empire. He grew up in a relatively unimportant part of the nation and he worked with his hands for a living. Like the American Revolution, we view the Jesus movement from our comfy chairs in 2020, knowing a little bit more of the story than the people who encountered him while he walked the earth. And I wonder if at its ragtag beginnings, we would have joined the parade of freedom that Jesus led, or if we would have stood at a distance with nothing to offer but disbelieving criticism. And then, I wonder about movements today that ask us to believe in futures yet unseen, that ask us to dedicate our lives and risk our comfort to walk away from what we've known, to leave behind the systems and stories and assumptions that aren't working, and to do life differently together. Can we undo racism in America? What about poverty and hunger? Can this pandemic lead to a reckoning with the busyness we've accustomed ourselves to living with? Are we able to remove the stigma around talking about stuff that we generally don't talk about, but which is silently weighing so many of us down? Mental illness and grief and suicide? It's hard to believe in visions like these. It's hard to believe they are possible because they have not been fully realized yet. It's easy for us to stand on the sidelines, to write these grand visions off as unrealistic and not worthy of our time. 
but praise be to God, Jesus keeps inviting us in. And here's how. It might seem contradictory, but to be led into new ways of being out in the world, Jesus points first to within ourselves. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, he says. It's naming the weariness, the burdens in ourselves, the hungry, dissatisfied, restless, unfinished places in our souls that God uses to draw us into community, to write a new story together in our world. In college, I studied abroad in Central America, and the nun who was our theology professor told us that the best theology always begins with a sense of basta ya, enough already. She understood that if we view our sufferings as something that we should silently endure and get through by ourselves, then nothing will come of them. But if we understand that Jesus is there with us, witnessing our suffering and offering to share the load with us, then we realize that even our wounds, even our weariness can be used by God. For these unfinished places, these enough already places where we're dissatisfied with our lives and the world around us, they can be the agitating grain of sand that God uses to create the pearl of God's vision becoming reality. They can be bridges that draw us out of ourselves and into the lives of others connecting us together in ways that give both comfort and power. It's not from the places within us that are sheltered by the status quo that God uses to change the world. It's the places where we feel we have nothing to lose. That's what Jesus uses to draw us from the sidelines into a community that acts and prays and aches for a future as yet unseen. For Alexander Hamilton, it was the pain of growing up as an orphan that led him to identify with the cause of American independence. For Jesus' disciples, it was the everyday indignities of living under an empire that made them shrug off the confines of their daily routines and follow this unlikely teacher who said that a better world is coming and is in fact already here. And it is the same teacher who we follow, the same teacher who calls us I don't know where those agitated places are in your life, where you're crying out, basta ya, but I know you've got them. And the promise is that God will meet you there, enliven your weariness, share your burden, 
and use it to draw you into the ongoing story of freedom and healing that God is writing. For though we cannot see it right now, we are bold enough to trust that the future Jesus has promised will one day arrive. And by God's grace, each one of us is swept from the sidelines to be a part of the story of how it comes to be. Amen.